I'm Daniel Scarpinato. My friends call me Scarp. I've been blessed to have a really great career in journalism, media, and politics. Along the way, I've become friends and, I would say, frenemies with some of the most interesting people. Some of them are famous, some infamous, and some completely unknown. We're turning on the mics now to discuss people, politics, and, well, pretty much everything else. So please sit back, relax, grab a drink, jump on the treadmill, whatever. Please enjoy the show. All right, we're live here on the ninth floor with a very special guest, Governor Ducey. Governor Thanks for being on Scarp and Friends. It's good to have you back on the ninth floor, Scarp. <laughs> well, I'm glad they allowed we've, me we've in. We've missed you. We've missed you. Thank you. I, I've missed it as well. It's great to see you, and we appreciate you joining us this week. And, um, you know, I really just wanted to start by getting your thoughts. I mean, I was here when you the first day you showed up here and walked in, and um, uh, we've got, uh, at this point, about three weeks left. Um, how are you feeling about everything? Well, you know, it's it's been a blast, and it has really flown by. I've, I've loved this job. I hope that people know that I've loved this job. I think being a governor is the best job in politics, and being governor of Arizona means that you get to have the best job in, in the best state. So there are definitely mixed feelings. I would say it's it's bittersweet, although two terms is plenty, and uh, we've left it all on, on the field here over the course of uh, eight years. So, so it, it, it's time, but I want to enjoy every moment as, as I close out. We've been able to do a number of things, like have our staff appreciation, mm-hmm. which I thought was just a ton of fun, and to do some other celebratory events to memorialize you know, what we've done together. So it's been, a, it's been exciting, and I know on January 2nd, I'm going to hand the baton to my uh, successor, and then we're going to figure out what's next. Yeah. Well, I want to go back a little bit. I want to talk about some of the more recent stuff. But if you could take us back. So when you sold Cold Stone, I mean, you were what, in your early 40s? I think I was 44. 44. And so what was kind of the... It was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. How did you get from that to deciding you ultimately wanted to run, and which was Treasure in in 2010? What, What... like, were you bored? Were you looking for the next thing? Had you always wanted to do this? No, I'd sold Cold Stone, and it, it, it happened sooner than I had anticipated. The market was great. We had 1,440 stores operating, about 800 and some in the pipeline. We had three international countries uh, that I had opened up those stores. Those trips took about two or three weeks to, mm-hmm. to do it properly. <clears throat> and my boys were still very young, so I thought it was the right time to sell. I didn't want to spend their their childhood over in in Beijing and and Shanghai and Tokyo opening up ice cream stores. So uh, I had sold the company. You know, I'd never been to Washington, D.C. in my entire life. And I'm in an organization uh, where we meet on a a monthly basis. And one of the individuals had gone on a, it's called YPO, Young President's Organization. He'd gone on an educational trip to D.C. Mm -hmm. and just thought it was terrific. He spent three days there had unbelievable access, had been in Homeland Security and really got to see the inside of the White House. And I thought, I, I want to do that trip because I'm not a very good sightseer and I want to go to Washington, D.C. And I did take that trip the next time it was available and I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it it opened my eyes to a whole
whole world that I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And while I was sitting on a couple of boards and doing some things in the private sector post Coldstone, this seemed really exciting. Mm -hmm. So I went to see Senator John Kyle. I had never met him. I had never <clears throat> written him a check. Um, I just thought very highly of his, his uh, philosophy. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a tremendous amount of time and he encouraged me to run for office. He encouraged me to run for governor. He asked me if I knew if I had an executive personality or a legislative personality. I said, well, that's simple, executive. And he said, then don't run for Congress, run for governor. And I went home and, and told Angela, hey, John Kyle wants me to run for governor. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't ex as excited. Now, I remember that cycle, and there was, uh, were a bunch of people who ran for governor in 2010. And um, and you ran ultimately ran for treasurer, um, which turned out to be a wise move. But um, what were people trying to encourage you to run for governor? Is it something you thought about, or were you like, I want to try this first? Well, I was I was getting encouraged to do mm -hmm. that, but you know we had a sitting Republican governor, yeah. and I didn't see the the reason why I would challenge someone who was sitting there and, and doing their best in a very difficult situation. If you remember, Janet Napolitano pulled the ripcord mm -hmm. and basically fled the state, yeah. and Governor Brewer was was stuck with cleaning up the mess, and she was doing her best in in what was a very difficult situation and it was believe it or not it was dean martin who sat in the treasurer's office mm -hmm. who decided to to run against her mm -hmm. before i had ever met him so the treasurer's office was opening it was an executive office third in line to the governor i'd studied finance in college that's what my degree was in so it seemed like a natural fit because i knew that there would be a learning curve and this was a way for me i'd never put my name on a ballot i'd never run a campaign since homeroom representative in fifth grade at Blessed Sacrament. <laughs> so it was a completely new world I was entering, and I thought the treasurer's office was, one, a good way to see if I could win an election, uh, if I was any good at this, and if I could be effective. So, And know, then four years later, the governor's office right. opened, and and I ran for that office with some confidence that I could do do the job. Now, we were watching the other night at this event a clip from your announcement for governor in 2014. Um, what was, do you remember, like, what was going through your mind that day? And that turned out to be a super competitive primary, <laughs> uh, kind of an epic race in many ways. Um, like, what, what were you thinking? Well, one, I was in, impressed with the amount of people that showed mm -hmm. up. And I, I still remember, because it is one thing to have the support of your spouse, and Angela's been terrific. I think many people know that she doesn't like politics, but thank goodness she she likes me. And then you, your kids go through a, a certain amount. There's a toll that, that they pay uh, along the way. Although they were enthusiastic the entire time, we never f forced them to participate in anything. It was always if they want to come on the campaign stop or if they want to uh, participate in, in what's happening. And, and I think winning solves a lot of those issues, especially for the kids. But it, it was a real adventure. It was a real adventure. I remember I made a number of commitments in that, in that speech, and I came off the stage, and I felt the 
many members of the press were were highly skeptical <laughs> that we would be doing anything to uh, affect lower taxes or uh, affect school choice and those types of things. And I've had confidence that we could get that done. I knew it would take some time. But I, I remember the interviews after that. They were certainly a lot more hard-hitting than the interviews before you announced. Yeah. Well, we should invite them all up, show it to them, and then go through everything that's been accomplished. <laughs> what about, um, so th that what also is crazy to me is that I think that was like February of 2014 or late January. I mean, it was the election year. Do you think that somebody could even do that today? I mean, it feels like the elections now are like 18 months, two years long. Well, it's, it's hard to say because mm -hmm. I, I can't remember, but it was sometime in that first quarter. Yeah. I, my recollection, it was March, but it was mm -hmm. right in, in that time frame. And it felt like it was the right time. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like we were late mm -hmm. to doing it, but it was like, let's get going. And the, <clears throat> the field did get crowded. I think our last cycle was somewhat of an anomaly mm -hmm. where we had someone with, with such broad name ID who had somewhat of a celebrity status and started very early right so i think time will only tell i would like to think for governor's races that they would stay to one year for the campaign i think if you're smart you're going to lay groundwork the six months going up to the governor's campaign i remember one of my friends put together a draft doug ducey movement yeah i think a few thousand people put their name to it and i started raising some money in anticipation of running hoping to have a figure that on january 1st would clear the field i announced the figure and i think uh, six weeks later i had 14 opponents so <laughs> i don't know that there's any way that you can actually craft what the what the field is going to look like. You can only be in charge of yourself as a candidate and run the best campaign that you, you're capable of. Was there a moment that you recall where you, like, did you know at some point you were probably going to win? Um, did you think you might lose? I mean, when, what was that moment? I, I want to say I had confidence the entire time mm -hmm. that I could finish in first place. Mm -hmm. I a actually asked to meet with uh, Fife Symington once I made the decision to run for office. I had never met him, but I wanted to model some of the things that he had done in public life. He was a businessman, and he seemed to focus on, on growing the economy, and I think did some really good things. And he was hard to get in touch with. Mm -hmm. so I f and he wanted to check me out before we sat down. So we finally sat down for a lunch at Houston's. I'll never forget it. And I said, I want to pick your brain. I think I want to run for office. I want to be governor. Um, what advice do you have for me? And the first thing he said to me is, you need to get your head around losing <laughs> because you probably will. And I rem remember, and I was uh, maybe less mature at that time, thinking, well, why would I get my head around losing? Isn't this a kill or be killed business? And it's right. so highly competitive. And he said, no, if, you, if that's your mindset, then you'll do and say things that you regret. Mm -hmm. He said, I, I've talked to some of your friends and you've got a good reputation. You built a, a good business. And oftentimes it can take several times to, to win an election and you'll be a better candidate. 
And that didn't sink in, in at that lunch. But over the next several weeks, I thought, okay, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And there are other things I can do, but this is really what, what I want to pursue. And I think it made me a better candidate on the campaign trail. There, It was a formidable field. I mean, you had Ken Bennett with really high name ID because he had been in office. Scott Smith was an incredibly successful mayor of Mesa. Uh, Christine Jones was the general counsel for maybe the most successful company in the state at that time in in GoDaddy, along with a a lot of other folks that were running. So I wanted to make my best case. I enjoyed campaigning a lot. I worked hard. And uh, uh, remember one moment specifically when we were outside Maricopa County. And some of the questions were the tough questions you get on the campaign trail. And I thought running for treasurer has really helped me here because I've been to Mojave County. Mm -hmm. I've been to Cochise County. I've been to these places outside of the city of Phoenix. It's a statewide race. And I think that helped guide the the thinking and and the agenda that I rolled out. Now, this may not be your nature, but do you ever think, like, if you hadn't won that, what you'd be doing, what you would have done with your life the well, last I wa- years? I wasn't winning it the whole time. <laughs> and uh, uh, in, in, in a primary, you actually can feel if you're winning in the room. You have a sense mm. if, if you're winning in the room because uh, the, the primary universe is much smaller than the general election universe, mm-hmm. and you get immediate feedback. And uh, we had seen some of our opponents polling at one point and they were ahead of us and I remember saying to Angela and the boys you're not going to see a whole lot of me over the next five weeks I'm going to work as hard as I can I really do want to win this race but if if I don't I'm going to call my uh, opponent and concede that that evening as soon as the results are in I'm going to show up to the unity breakfast the next day and I'm going to find another way to to serve the state or uh, whatever my mission was going to be going forward. And as a candidate, you're driving all over the state. I mean, we made the trip to Tucson over a hundred times. And I sometimes would, would fantasize a little bit or daydream and think, you know, everybody's talking about Breaking Bad and I haven't seen it. And if I lose this race, I'm going to have all kinds of time <laughs> to catch up on all these shows everybody's talking about. Um, but fortunately, we were, uh, we were able to be successful and it, it took me a few more years to catch up on the shows (laughs) (laughs) well one memory i have in this room or multiple is uh practicing the our state of the state addresses before you would deliver them and before we'd go down and practice them in the chamber and this time of year that's what we'd be doing um is it weird not to be doing that right now it's very weird because you do have a certain cadence Mm -hmm. in the governor's office and it's and it's one thing that i've really liked i mean you're going to get the you're off to a fast start, whether you like it or not, because you've got that state of the state on the second Monday. When you're elected, you've got inauguration on the first Monday. So it also allows for that idea around Thanksgiving time frame. I always wanted to have state of the state pretty much where we where we wanted it, and then we would refine it between now and uh, when we were would present it. And anything that we wanted to do beyond that one on a to-do list mm-hmm. and that would go into next next year's state of the state and to think that we've been able to do eight of those and i think lay out a pretty aggressive 
action-oriented agenda all eight times and to have made headway on nearly every front is something I'm proud of and I'm I'm very uh, uh, comfortable in that I do not have to write a state of the state <laughs> and and deliver it this upcoming January. You met with your successor. What and I think you met here based on the Twitter photos. What what uh, what advice did you have? Well, first I congratulated mm-hmm. her on on winning the race. It certainly was a highly spirited campaign to say the least and I, I made a commitment that it was going to be a seamless and successful transition if she uh, needed any sounding board along the way I was going to keep any any questions or conversations in confidence and I, I've been public of what I think the best advice that that I received or I followed and you know we're in the people business and personnel is, is policy and governor gets a lot of credit for the the good things that happen takes a lot of blame for the things that go wrong but you're really not going to have the accomplishments that we've had without an incredible staff and scarp yeah. you have been part of that or were part of that from from day one but from the chief to the deputy to the other folks that sit around the table with you every morning and I expanded that senior staff I mean economic development was important to me so I brought in Sandra Watson as our commerce secretary we had all kinds of issues and questions around education I don't know how many other governors sat with their education policy advisor every morning but I think of the talent that was around that table from Kirk Adams to Danny Seiden to Gretchen Conger to Victor Rich and the others that we populated around uh, knew how important Southern Arizona is, invited Juan Siscomani mm-hmm. around that table who will be headed to uh, Congress. And I think if you took a snapshot of that table every every four to six months you saw new and fresh talent you saw a lot of retention of of real strength and uh, you saw folks from um all across the the spectrum from the campaign team of sarah muller and, and jp twist to advisors like doug goodyear and i'm i uh, i think that that's important for for any governor for any leader is to have people that can sit around a table and be sh- somewhat fearless, if not fearless, in terms of the advice and counsel. Because as governor, you're going to face crisis. Uh, You're going to face unpleasant surprises, and you are going to have to make decisions in in real time. Now, some of that's your own wisdom and and instinct, but on other things, especially the completion of projects, you're going to need people that have real commitment. The other interesting dynamic will be that we'll have divided government in terms of a Democratic governor and Republican legislature. And um, it's been a long time since we've had that. And I was actually putting this slide deck together on some of these dynamics. And we put, you know, 2002, when Janet Napolitano was elected, the number one show on television was Everyone Loves Raymond. Now it's the Kardashians. Everybody had flip phones. Now we have Twitter. Um, so I just think the world is so different than it was 20 years ago. And I'm curious, you know, what advice you would have to legislative Republicans of how they should approach this upcoming session, um, how they should, you know, approach this dynamic from either a policy or, or political standpoint. It's, it's an interesting question. My mindset is so much in the executive mm-hmm. branch and my training that I, I, I want to start from, I think, how uh, 
an executive should think, mm-hmm. regardless of, of party, is there's a lot a strong-willed executive can get done. Now, we do have divided government, but I will tell you, how many times during my administration did we feel like we had unified government? Right. I mean, the legislature is always a check, right. as they should be, mm-hmm. on the executive, and there's certain priorities that they have. So I think if the executive has the mindset of whatever Katie wants to move forward, then the legislature should understand that they can be a check, but the people's business does need to be taken care of. There will be a budget that is going to come due. We pushed the July 1st date several times in an effort to get more of what we wanted. But if the legislature can prioritize, one, what they want to get done, what the people's business is. And then I do think, especially in these first several years, there's no substitute for communication to see if there's some common ground. You remember that we started with that $1 billion deficit, and as tough as that budget was, it sure made the legislative session easy. We couldn't do anything for anybody. And I had people up to the office and said, I know you know what I want because that's what I campaigned on. I want to hear what you want. And after they told me, I said, okay, maybe we can do that next year because we can't do it this year. Yeah. We've got to make really tough decisions. We've got to tighten the belt and, and right-size this budget. And a lot of people had a tough time with that, even conservative, fiscal uh, conservative Republicans. But I said, hey, blame me. I ran as being a, a CEO, and I want to balance this budget. And the economy is going to get better, and when it does, we'll have available dollars for things that are important to both of us. And if the economy doesn't get better, we'll be happy we balanced the budget sooner. Mm-hmm. And that proved to be v- very, very wise counsel because we did have available dollars. Every year thereafter, if you remember, we wrapped up the session in March. I think it was the fastest session since they've been keeping the records. And the revenues came in in April, and they were exceeding expectations. And there were some calls to come back in session and spend it. And we said, no chance. We'll wait till next year Mm -hmm. and uh and look what we've been able to do in terms of long-term investments over the next seven years what ultimately you when you ran you did talk a lot about your business experience and you mentioned symington he was really the last governor who brought that although very different kind of business experience than you had what what would you say was from your business acumen aided you in this job? Well, as a, as a CEO or an entrepreneur, you have to set a vision, uh, pick a, a team, pick the people, uh, chart the course, and, and really make those difficult decisions. So all of that translated to the governor's office. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the people that we populated, senior staff, the way we refreshed agency heads, the talent we kept as agency heads because we recognize that talent. That was all the same at Procter & Gamble Mm -hmm. or at at Coldstone Creamery. And then I think the fact that I had had a, a life before politics, one allowed me to wrap my head around what Governor Symington said, that mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't campaign as if this was the most important thing in the, in the world so I could make better decisions on the campaign trail, on the debate stage, uh, on in front of forums, 
to uh, communicate what I wanted, uh, and then to make some of the tough decisions. I mean, balancing that budget, while in hindsight, it, it looks easy, there was a lot of unpopularity. I never gave up my personal cell phone. I think the staff wanted yeah. me to oftentimes, but I was hearing from a lot of people that were not happy on the, the cuts that we made. They thought that I'd be a different kind of governor, and I think staying the course on that was because I was doing this in the second part of my career rather than, than the first part of my career. And I think for anyone that wants to be in elective office, boy, if you could go out, I always say this to young people, usually young people that are around here love politics to some degree or they want to run for office at some time. But if you could go out and do something else, mm -hmm. if you could build a business or turn a school around or join the military, have some kind of subject matter expertise before you run for office, along with some of that working with others, maybe not with a formal leadership title, but develop those leadership skills on being the, the person in the room that can bring people together and solve the problem. That all translates to, uh, to the governor's office for sure. The other thing that I think in eight years, it feels like eight years, while it went by quick, a lot of things were different in the world eight years ago. And I think even when you ran, I mean, Twitter was not as what it is today and i think about the good old days <laughs> yeah right well and i think about some of um what has transpired i think about certain u.s senators that represent arizona certain mayors mm -hmm. and people who have have grandstanded during these eight years over multiple issues how difficult is it to not take the bait on that. How difficult is it? I mean, you kept your head down. I don't think there's a lot of reward for not engaging in that stuff. It, there's rewards now in politics for doing that. H how difficult is it just to ignore that and, and power through it? I think the idea of, of staying the course, of, of having a plan of what you want to get done, and then not getting distracted mm -hmm. is, is something that I really tried to discipline myself to do. I don't know that I was perfect, but I thought, let's not get in these, these Twitter fights. Mm -hmm. Let's not stop to kick every barking dog. You know, it was, it was really an honor to serve a, alongside or to come into office when people like John McCain mm -hmm. were in this office and to be guided by uh, people like Senator John Kyle. And I, I, worked very hard to do what was right for the people of Arizona in these settings. Social media has not been good mm -hmm. uh, for for politics. And I think we both remember w what COVID did and yeah. they politicized uh, much of the pandemic. One side wanted everything shut down and they wanted to make that known. Uh, I know how hard we worked to keep the state open while protecting people, protecting lives, making what we thought were the best decisions on things like protecting people in, in our, our nursing home and long-term care homes. But for some reason, uh, everyone wanted, uh, wanted me to be 
Andrew Cuomo or Gavin Newsom and, and lock everything down. There was no chance we were going to do that. We prioritized lives and livelihoods and individual liberties. And I still have very fond memories of those press conferences when they wanted to know why we weren't shutting churches down. And I let them know the same thing that allows for freedom of the press, allows us for uh, rel- religious organizations to gather if they choose. And people were responsible along the way. But I think all of that was exacerbated by social media. One thing you talked about, I've heard you talk about is, and you mentioned earlier, kind of, you know, your family and, and the announcement. The uh, You've talked about, you know, Arizona doesn't have an official residence for a governor, and that you actually think that's a good thing. T- tell us why. Well, I do think it's a good thing. It was especially good for someone that came into office with teenagers. (laughs) So it was much less disruption Mm -hmm. of our life. I think it's a good thing because uh, I'm a fiscal conservative. (laughs) I mean, why should the state be paying for public housing for uh, an elected leader? I think it's different Mm -hmm. for the president of the United Mm -hmm. States. And of course, that's the seat of government and the leader of the free world. But Arizona does not have that mansion or, or residence. And I think that's just fine. I mean, we can convene people here at the Capitol if we need to bring people together. There's all kinds of folks that will open their doors to be helpful for that. But why should why should taxpayer dollars go into to housing an elected leader along with the upkeep that it takes to keep a, a, a residence in, in the right condition? I got to imagine when you're governor, I mean, then this is, again, I think something that's different than surveying in Congress is you're here you know, you're probably still going to the grocery store with DPS detail <laughs> and and you're around town. I mean, would people come up to you and just tell you what they thought? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the wonderful things about the job, at least I thought it was. I'm out and about quite a bit. I was lucky enough to have my boys grow up while I was in this office. So I was in a, a, a lot, lot of fields, a lot of stadiums, a lot of pickup lines with a lot of different parents and other people from around the state. And people have been terrific. Of course, it's a divided state in in many ways. So I know that there's uh, not everyone that voted for me, but people would come up. I I always say I think the best focus group is on Southwest or American Airlines sitting in coach, you know, off to somewhere around the the country for for personal or business reasons and people will come up and you know squeeze your arm and say I wish you'd do a little more on on this or I like what you did on that and and I always listened and I don't want to jinx myself with 24 days left but I've never had a a bad experience in in public with with people they've been terrific now on social media it's been my experience people get a lot of courage behind a keyboard but nobody's ever been like one of those comment threads that I don't read, but some members of my family do, and I ask them not to. So the question I get a ton, and I'm sure you do too, is what are you going to do next? And um, unless you want to break some news here, um, what I'm not going to ask you that. But what I am curious— How's this podcasting working out? I've been thinking about maybe getting into this. Yeah, well, maybe we could be co-hosts. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious. Like, Have you thought about, like, okay— you go to, I don't know when all of this will, how it will go, but like you go to the inauguration on, or whenever, how all the, how this is all going to play out when the keys get handed over to the next governor and you get dropped off and, uh, 
and then what? Well, I have I have thought about it because I think it's a very special custom in, in our state that every living governor is picked up by DPS. Mm-hmm. They're brought to inauguration and then they're taken home. Mm-hmm. And the, the sitting governor comes to inauguration, driven there by DPS, and then they're taken home and dropped off. And they're a, a civilian as, as they should be. So I have thought about that. Uh, I think it, r- it reminds me a little bit of, of when I sold Cold Stone. I went from going 150 miles an hour down to below the speed limit. Mm-hmm. I know that, that this transition is going to be much like that. I'm going faster than 150 miles an hour. I'm in a different stage in my life, and I don't know what's next right now. I think I've got an act or two left in me. I've loved being a part of this cause. I came from the private sector. I owe my my wife a little time and a few trips, and I want to in, enjoy that. It's a, a different stage right now, but then I'm going to uh, I'm going to figure out what's next. But I'm going to I'm going to take a little time. What's the best Italian restaurant in Arizona? Well, the one that Angela and I enjoy most is is Franco's. Where's um, Franco's? It's it's, uh, Camelback in Scottsdale. Okay. And then Tutti Sante at Greenway in in 60th. I think they're both both excellent. Would you say that the cuisine since when you moved here in the early 80s, I mean, it's got to have really changed well listen my mom is i think the best cook on earth mm-hmm. uh, and angela is an excellent cook who's learned a lot from my mom when we moved here we moved from chicago mm-hmm. so i grew up in toledo but i my career took me all over the or many places in the country but we and chicago was the best food city in the, in the country and we came to arizona in 1997 and boy it's it's dramatically changed now i think there's so many places to go uh here under the sun from whatever category you want from steak to uh, italian to to ethnic foods so uh we'll probably get out and explore some of those as well yeah no it's really it feels like things are constantly opening as well what has that industry I mean, you were really in that industry in in a way, I mean, a a niche part of it, but how has the food and um, service industry changed since you were in it? Well, I think in Arizona, you've seen a tremendous amount of opportunity and success. One, I don't know that we would have been known for all the different choices and all the quality that we had. But if you remember, I kicked off the 2014 campaign at Sam Fox's restaurant, The Yard. Mm -hmm. Um, Sam and I got to know each other through YPO, that young president's organization that I was talking about. And he wasn't yet Sam Fox. Mm -hmm. Uh, And look at the success that he's had opening up True Food and Flower Child and The Yard, Arrogant Butcher. Um, you see Craig DeMarco and what he's done with, with LGO, and I think his partner did Chelsea's Kitchen. So I think you've seen a lot of entrepreneurial talent from that service sector, which is where I, I came from, and I have a great respect for not only the entrepreneurs, but the people that work in that industry. It's, a one, a great place to build a career. It's also a great entry-level place for people to pay for college or community college or figure out what's next. And then, you know, the day before yesterday, we have the President of the United States flying in somewhat un- unannounced or making a last-minute decision to come in and celebrate Taiwan Semiconductor, which are among the highest-tech, high-paying 
jobs that anyone could find anywhere in the in the country in a, a category that's vital to national defense, to Arizona's economy, and, and to the United States economy. So I think anybody that wants to find a job in Arizona can now find a job. Mm-hmm. And we've got everything from that, that entry level and service sector to the the highest tech, high-paying jobs that require the most in- intensive engineering educations. You mentioned at the beginning term limits. You think term limits are a good thing? I'm for term limits for, for the executive for the branch. Executive. And I know it's popular to say you're for term limits for the legislative branch, but I do think there's a certain institutional knowledge that happens in in the chambers, and I really value those legislators. They have a, a skill set that I don't. So I think our term limits for the legislative branch are called elections. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like somebody, you can remove them. But when you have someone like a Rusty Bowers, like what I think Ben Thomas going to be, uh, th- this is someone special and someone who can lead these chambers. I, I, I've said this to, to Ben, and I've, I've said it to Karen Fan as, as well. In many ways, I think they have a tougher job than the governor. Mm-hmm. I go out and give that state of the state, able to share with everybody what I want, but they've got to keep all the frogs in the wheelbarrow. They've got to get those votes, and we've only had one vote to, to spare over over the last several years, and the, the new governor will be in a position where they're going to have to find bipartisan ways to get to 16 and 31, numbers we know so well, because it doesn't matter how good your idea is, but if you can't get 16 in the Senate and 31 in the House, those are the majorities, and then the governor to sign it, it's just not going to become a law. It seems insurmountable in this environment. I think that the process of the turning of the calendar, mm-hmm. the the pomp and circumstance of inauguration, and then uh, a new state of the state will have people focused on what their priorities are. And then the, the, left, the rest really will be left to our uh, elected leaders. And, um, and so I, I, you know, I believe in our process. I think it can be frustrating and, and maddening, but it's something that I love. I think it was handed to us from our founders, this Republican small R form of, of government. And I've joked many times in senior staff saying, I think I'd make an incredible benevolent dictator. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just not how it works. We've got to get the votes. And I think there is something to that process and and earning those votes not only from the citizens to achieve the office but then working within our our system uh, as representative government to to do that and I think it's a shame what we see out of Washington DC and it's on both sides they aren't making any effort to do that they're I think making a lot happen unconstitutionally through executive order and um, uh, I think we need a reset what do you think you'll miss the most about this job? The interaction with the people, mm-hmm. um, the, the interaction with the, the people in, in the state. And then there's a, a, a real thrill uh, in terms of just the amount of, of energy and activity we have on all the things that, that we wanted to get done. It really is uh, from state of the state and then trying to bring those things to life, the budget negotiation, the things that would happen along the way. While it was a lot of work, I, I found uh, great satisfaction in all of it. And of course, working with the talented people on the eighth and ninth floor. 
Governor, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Scarp. All right. Great to see you. you Hey, it's Scarp. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to listen to all of our new episodes.